0: This is Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Life Over Coffee. This is part two. I just finished part one. It's episode 334. It is an interview that I did with Barbie Blackert, a theater dramatist production person, her and her husband, Hardy. They have been in drama for over 30 years and they put on productions at their local church and been doing that for a long time. The question that I ask her is, is is the TV series "The Chosen" about the lives of the apostles, which obviously Christ is a central figure of that TV series. It is a multi a multi season show. Not sure how many seasons they're going to have. Maybe. Seven, But there is a problem with, with some folks that say that any depiction of Christ is a violation of the Second Commandment, and so I did an entire podcast interviewing her, asking her her perspective on that. She says she has no problem watching it, and a lot of other people agree with her, of course, because the TV series has been wildly popular but then there is an argument on the other side of the aisle that says it, it, it is breaking the second commandment. And so we talked about that, and she shared her perspective. But in that episode, I did not share a lot of my perspective, and so that this is what this episode is about. And so this is episode 334, part two. I'm going to have both of these podcasts inside the show notes of episode 334. And so if you go to episode 334, you can listen to my interview of her. That would be number one, and then you can listen to this podcast, of course, where it's my perspective, and and I'm taking the position that it's okay to watch. It's okay for me to watch the chosen, and so if you want to read, go through my outline. I have it here again. It's in episode 334. I'm going to share my outline with you right now. Point number one is conscience, and basically that is you're free to watch and you're free to abstain. It's quite that simple. You do not want to defile your conscience. And so you want to listen to your conscience. Maybe your conscience is wrong. Maybe your conscience can, can change. All of our consciences do change. And, you know, for example, there was a time when I believed that the King James Bible was the only English-speaking Bible that you could read. In all other Bibles, it would be sin to read, and that was a conscience issue. Uh, there are people have a conscience issue that you should not listen to uh, drums in a church worship set, and that's their conscience condemns them, and, so, and maybe their conscience could change, or conscience is moldable. And so as of this point, if your conscience condemns you, and you say you can't watch the chosen because it's breaking the second commandment, then you cannot watch the chosen. We want to honor what Paul was teaching us in 1 Corinthians 8 about the Jewish believers who believed it was a sin to eat meat. Some people have knowledge, but we want to make sure our knowledge does not make our make us arrogant, and so we want to be careful in how we exercise our liberty. I do have a one hour webinar in these show notes on how to make a decision and of course part of decision making has a lot to do with the conscience and you can freely watch that webinar if you wish. Point number one here, the conscience. Some people are free to watch and some are free to abstain Point number two is condemnation. And under this point, I just appeal to all of us to be careful with how we think about people who believe and practice the Bible differently than we, the, the way we do. Knowledge does puff up. Knowledge can make a person arrogant. And I've heard some very harsh comments from mostly from reform, and I am reformed by the way, just to let you know what where my theological leanings are. I am Reformed, and I've heard a lot of harshness that has come out of the Reformed camp toward people who are free to watch The Chosen, some very strong language, and I would just appeal that that ask, ask God to help you to dial that back uh, because there are people who truly do love God, they worship God, they don't want to defame Him in any way. And some of you might need to just recall where you were uh, 20 years ago and some of the things that you believed then when you were right. Uh, I was way right. I was totally right. I was completely right as an independent fundamental Baptist, and then I became Reformed, and now I'm a different kind of right. And so there is a thing called progressive sanctification, and so you want to be— careful uh, the things that i believe 35 years ago when god regenerated me and the things that i believe today many of those things are are radically different and that that tends to communicate to me that uh, 10 years from now 20 years from now I'm going to con- I hope I continue to mature in Christ and my v- views continue to to change and become even more theologically precise as I uh, keep running them through the hermeneutical spiral and so for those of you who are very strong on your opinions stay strong be strong but be careful how you communicate. So point number 2 is condemnation specifically condemning other people who truly do love Jesus. Point number three is collaborators. One of the arguments has been put forward about why some people don't watch this movie. is because Dallas Jenkins, the primary writer, director of the TV series, has been collaborating with Mormons and Jews and Catholics. And I can understand on the face of it why that would be an issue, but as you drill down into that, You benefit in many ways from unbelievers. We all do. It is impossible to live in this world and not participate in what I call amalgamated things, the meshing together of many things, and even things that are outside our bibliocentric uh, beliefs. For example, we have many unbelievers that help us in the putting on of this ministry. There is intellectual property that we have purchased. There are our physical peripherals that we have purchased that were created by unbelievers. And I also have learned a ton of information from unbelievers on how to operate this ministry that you all have benefited from. The key idea here is that we, even though we're spoiling from the Egyptians, uh, even though we are partis or we learn things from the world The key idea is that when it runs through a biblical filter that we are theologically precise in our beliefs, but if you think that you can live in this world and not participate in some way, form, or fashion from unbelievers, or if you think you cannot benefit from unbelievers, then quite frankly you are mistaken. For example, uh, I've gone through Dennis Prager, who is a Jewish guy. I've gone through his commentaries on Genesis and Exodus, and they have been outstanding commentaries to Share a Jewish perspective uh, interpretation of the Pentateuch, specifically uh, the first two books of the of the Pentateuch. I don't have an issue with that. Uh, and there's many books, for example, that, that you have read, uh, that you have benefited from, but yet, as we would say, you, you, you pick out the bones and you enjoy the meat, but there was some benefit, and you run those principles and those ideas and the things that you have gleaned through a bibliocentric filter, and what comes out on the other end is something that is very precise. And so the fact that they were collaborating with Mormons, Jews, or Catholics, which has been the argument, I don't necessarily struggle with that if, and this leads into my next point, consistency. Does this TV series, does it distort Scripture? Does this TV series about the life of the apostles and, of course, the life of Christ, are they distorting Scripture? And so far, with what I've seen, they have not. I mentioned in the last episode, my interview with Barbie, that I don't care for the passion of Christ because there was, it, it, it in my view, it does distort Scripture because there's a lot of uh, Catholic uh, teaching in uh, that particular movie. And even though I have many Catholic friends and Catholic relatives, uh, we've had these discussions where we just agree, agree to disagree on our theology and we can still be civil and friends and love each other. We have Catholic people that support our ministry and we just disagree on these theological issues. But for me, I have no interest in watching the Passion of Christ because I don't believe in the theology that it is teaching, but from what I have, Seen in The Chosen is that it is uh, within bibliocentric expectations of, of Scripture. Now, I heard somebody uh, say they had a problem, for example, with Jesus in this movie, in this portrayal of Jesus, where he was practicing the Sermon on the Mount. And they said that Jesus would not practice the Sermon on the Mount. But, and I didn't. I don't think that I saw the scene, or maybe I just don't remember it, but he was pr- preparing the Sermon on the Mount, and he was maybe saying something, said, Oh, no, no that's not right. Let's do this, and let's, you know, something like that. Uh, he was writing, he was crafting his sermon. And they said, Well, Jesus just would not do that because he is Jesus. And, well, actually, he would do that because Jesus was 100% man and a person that doesn't think that Jesus could learn something as humanity well i mean that's what Luke was saying in chapter 2 that he he was growing and he was learning and he was maturing he was 100% man The theological teaching here is the hypostatic union, that Jesus was 100% man, 100% God. It is a mystery for sure, but he was not 98% man and 2% God, because that would be an adulteration of the gospel. He was 100% man. He took on form of a man, and he became like us. Therefore, he grew in his understanding and knowledge as a human, and the person, and I don't even remember who it is, and it doesn't matter. I think it was on Facebook, but they were struggling with this point. How could he practice? Well, because he was, he was a human, I have prepared thousands of messages in my life. I've done these podcasts thousands of times. And I, I did one just the other day, and it took me 12 hours to produce, to, to actually do the podcast because I just couldn't get it right. I was doing a webinar, doing a one hour webinar. And just the actual recording of it—it it took eleven hours. I'm sorry, it took eleven hours because I just could not get it right. I just could not get get the flow right in my humanity. Uh, there, and and that's to portray Christ like that is actually portraying his humanity. He was like us, and so to say that he didn't practice the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that he didn't. Uh, have forethought and just sit out and plan and think through what he was going to say I think is completely completely within the realm of imagination to think that he was trying to get this right, and he did want to get it right because he was 100% man. And so my point here, these last two points, was about collaborators and consistency. To collaborate with Mormons and Jews and Catholics, I don't necessarily have a problem with that as long as it is as long as they stay consistency and consistent and don't distort Scripture. And what I've seen so far is that they haven't distorted Distorted scripture. So I've talked about conscience. You're free to watch. You're free to abstain. I talked about condemnation. Please be careful how we talk about others. Point number three, collaborators. I, I don't necessarily have an issue with that if point number four is in play, which is consistency and they say stay within biblical bounds, which again, so far, what I've seen, they are passion of the Christ, not so much. Point number five is creeds and cate- catechisms. I've heard this argument as as well. For example, the Westminster Catechism, there is the Longer and Shorter Catechism, and they were finalized around 1647, about 400 years ago. Uh, this The Catechism, the Westminster Catechism, the Shorter and Longer comes out of Reformed uh, tradition. It, and what it is is just a series of questions and answers. So, so the shorter catechism is quick, bulleted, uh, question answer question answer question answer, and it's actually excellent. And I would encourage any parent to to work their children through the shorter catechism, uh, to to ask these questions and answer them, or for their children to learn these things. Uh, it will really ground them in theology. It is excellent. The longer catechism is typically used for the training of folks who are going into uh, Presbyterians. When I say reform, it's not just Presbyterians, but to give you an idea, uh, Presbyterians who are going into ministry, uh, they must know the Westminster Catechism. And so at one point in the Catechism, basically it says, and this is where they get that it's breaking the second commandment, the images of, of Christ. And so they use the Catechism as their argument now that's problematic. I mean the catechism in a sense is just a commentary. It is a 1650 commentary on on the Bible. It's not binding and neither is it revelatory. If you if you're just if your only argument is a catechism or a creed. By the way, creeds creeds come along in the church and they they're throughout church history, and the reason that there would be a creed is because there is a particular problem in the church, and the divines get together, and they hammer out a creed to be able to answer whatever heresy is going through the church, and, and these creeds and catechisms are really awesome. They're really fantastic, but they're not revelation, and they're not binding, and you want to be uh, careful, And if your only argument is that the Westminster Catechism, you know, says that it's wrong, that's not even exegesis. I mean, there's no exegesis of, of the text of, this, of, of Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5. It's just a blanket statement that this is wrong, therefore you shouldn't do it. And so it becomes binding, even though it's non, not rev, revelatory. The other issue with the Westminster Catechism is that the time in which it was written, that it came about, they were neck deep in confronting the Catholic Church, which was very much into idol worship, the Catholic Church. And so you have to at least give a courtesy nod that part of the presupposition for this point about the breaking of the Second Commandment and the creation of carved idols Uh, has something to do with the Catholic Church, who are very much into three-dimensional figures. And so that factors in there as well. And by the way, when I started this podcast, I don't know if I told you that I have a cold. (laughs) My voice is shutting down, and so I'm going to see if I can make it all the way through. And I do apologize for the huskiness of my my voice, but that's why it is sounding uh, different. And so part of the argument has been creeds and catechisms. There's some validity, and there's we want to read them, we want to discern them, we want to respond to them, and, and we, we want to hold them dearly to us, but we want to be careful that if the catechism becomes our exegesis, if that becomes our only argument, then we've actually elevated the catechism to the place of inspiration, and what we want to do is go back to the text and see exactly what the text says, as opposed to what some divine said about the text in 1650. And that leads to my next point, is a chiistic, or chiism. Exodus 20, verse number 4, uh, actually, it's we break it into this, the first and second third fourth fifth commandment but if you read it in context Exodus chapter 20 verses 3 4 5 and 6 is a chiism. it's a chiism. it's a chiastic structure and that is how the second commandment is laid out now i have a link here that actually gives you a presentation of the chiastic structure of, exod- of of the second commandment and I would encourage you to go to these show notes in episode 334, click on this link and go out and read what this particular writer is presenting pictorially, and also the explanation of, of the second commandment, and that you would read this chiistic structure. A chiism what it is, it's a literary device, and the Bible is full of chiisms. And it's just an outstanding way of communicating, it's an outstanding way of writing, and it really gets your point across. And what a chiism does, you can kind of look at it like the letters A, B, B, A. And what that means is it gives point A, point B, and then it restates it backwards point B, point A. That's a structure. And again, you can read more about that here. But Exodus, the second commandment specifically, is a chiism. And the chiism says this, that you don't make any graven images about God, and you don't worship any images that you make. And that's kind of a loose rendering of the chiism. Now, the reason that that's important is because you can't separate those two thoughts. You can't make a carved image and separate that from the the chiasm, the last part, which means you don't worship the image that you make. You can't separate those two things. If you do separate those two things, you're going to get into all sorts of trouble because There were a lot of images made. In fact, God commanded Moses to make an image in Numbers 21, the serpent on the pole, uh, when they were being eaten alive by uh, the fiery serpents. God commanded them to carve an image. And so there is no issue with carving images under certain circumstances in the Bible. But the second commandment, because it's a chiasm, there are two things of equal importance. You don't carve images, or let me say it another way, you can carve images as long as you don't worship those images. Now, so in Numbers 21, they made a carved image of the serpent on a pole, and they kept it for a long time. And then you read in Second uh, Kings 18.4, where they started worshiping the Asherah poles and Nahustan is what they called this uh, snake on the pole. And at that point, they were commanded to destroy uh, the snake on the pole because they were worshiping it, because they were violating the second commandment. And so based on the chiastic structure of the second commandment, you can summarize its meaning as don't make images to worship, and don't worship images that you make. And it's important when you do the exegesis of this passage that you see this, you understand this, because if you don't, you will separate those two things, and then you will live in a, a wooded interpretation of this passage of Scripture, which says you cannot make any images whatsoever because that's a violation of the second commandment. No, it's a violation of the second commandment when you make images and you worship them. And so my point here is under the the title chiistic. And again, I have a link here where you can read more about that if you wish. And then my final point is commentary. I want to give you just a a little bit more of a commentary on this passage of Second uh, uh, <laughs> of Second Commandment in Exodus 20, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. And again, I'm putting verse 3 in the mix because all of it flows together. You'll put no other gods before me. You'll not carve out any gods all of that really in context is saying a a similar thing even though you can separate them but in context it's making a big deal that you don't worship anything other than jehovah other than yahweh other than jehovah god you don't worship anything now part of that means is that you don't make any graven images to worship which is the second commandment now the rendering of graven images is three-dimensional images. And that's what it means, it's, a, it, it's not a 2D image, it's a 3D image. Now, if a person believes that an image of Christ, a picture of Christ, a piece of flannel graph, a 2D, 2D image of Christ, that that is breaking the commandment, then they have to argue from that point. I mean, they have to argue the text. But you can't say that a graven image is a 2D image because that's not what pestle means. It is It refers to a carved or sculpted image, not necessarily paintings or drawings. And if you want to argue that it's paintings and drawings, then you have to argue the point. I'm not because I don't see it in the text because it's a three-dimensional image. And the reason that it's there, it's because if you go back to that time in Hebrew history, they had what you would call sympathetic representations. A sympathetic representation is an idol, it's a sympathetic representation of a bigger idea. And the point of the image, or the point of the, the graven image, is that it was a mechanism to be able to control an outcome. That's what made it an idol, kind of like a lucky rabbit's foot. I carve out an image, and I worship this image, and I can use this image to to create an, an outcome. So if I have a rain god, I want to control the climate, I want to control the weather, I would have a three dimensional three-dimensional carving of a rain god or whatever that would look like and i would bow down and worship this sympathetic representation of the ultimate rain god and then i can somewhat coerce and manipulate things that's what idol worship was back then if we bow down and worship this we can get the outcomes that we want and that's what they were talking about. And that's in the strictest sense. That's what the second commandment is talking about It is a three dimensional image. Now, some will say that, well, God is invisible. And so we can't represent him. Therefore, we should not represent him at all. Well, this, too, is a faulty argument because there were many appearances of God throughout the Old Testament. These are called theophanies. Uh, In Exodus 29, 9 through 11, Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel— there was under his and there was under his feet I'm reading it here as a pavement of sapphire and stone and so there was this representation of God in this text you also see the same thing and with Joshua in Joshua 5 Joshua was by Jericho he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand and Joshua went to him and said to him are you for us or for our adversaries and he says i i am representing the lord here and he said bow down the place where you're standing is holy ground and take off your sandals and it says that joshua bowed down and worshiped Uh, he worshiped that representation of god and so when a person takes the argument and say well god is invisible and we cannot represent him that's actually problematic you'll also see the same thing in judges 6 Judges 13, 1 Samuel 3, First First Kings 22, Isaiah 6, uh, where the Lord was lifted up, Jeremiah 1, Ezekiel 1, and Daniel 7. You will see many representations of the Lord. You'll also see it at the burning bush as well, where it was a representation of God. And so you could say, well, you can draw a picture of the burning bush, but you can't have a picture of Christ. Well, you really get into a problem when you say, because if God is invisible, then we can't have a representation of him in a burning bush, and we can't have a representation of him in all of these other passages that I mentioned. Or you can have a representation of him as long as you don't worship him. And that is the idea of Exodus twenty, uh, Exodus 20 verses four through six. It's a chiastic structure where both things have equal value. You do not carve out three-dimensional images, and you do not worship them. And when you hold those things together, well, then you're free to try to represent God in in ways that are appropriate. and In my view, I don't see any problem with uh, the writers of the chosen presenting a a picture of Christ and and their, uh, their perspective of, of acting out the four gospels as long as they stay consistently within the narrative of what scripture teaches, unlike what I believe the passion of the Christ. Now it could be as we move farther into the chosen that they do get biblically out of bounds and that would be a problem. So those are my points. Number one, it's a conscience issue. You're free to watch, free to abstain. Number two, condemnation. Be careful how you think about people who have an opposing view. Number three, collaborators. It's hard to live in this world without collaborating with God's mercy is on the believers and unbelievers. Consistency, are we being within biblical boundaries creeds and catechisms they're very helpful but they're not binding or revelatory number six chiastic there's a chiastic structure here and then i've given you a brief commentary and you can look at my notes here if you want to talk about this we'd love to chat come to our forums and and we'll discuss this or anything else that's on your mind